Ten right. Then I'm pushing the button because it's Wednesday. Yay! We're about to land, Mrs. Wright. <laughs> what on earth could that noise be? <laughs> Forgot the blue card. Jeez. Had to go get it. Glad you had got to, it. Had to hover over to go get it. I mean, jeez. <laughs> What's happening, Mrs. Wright? It's like the old radio days. Get your props, everybody. Get your props. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's happening? Going going along, man. Yeah, we're a little crooked there. Sorry, that's my fault. Uh, hi, Mrs. Ryan. Hi, I'm excited to see you. Hi, everybody else. Welcome back. Let's see. Tonight is Wednesday, October 2nd, 2019. This is our first show in October. Happy Halloween month, Mrs. Ryan. Ah, happy Halloween month my to name you, is too. J- my name is Jay Ryan. This is Nicole Ryan. We are the Ryans. And this is a good old time in the old-fashioned late-night playset. I think we should start... It's definitely late-night playset, but I think we should just start treating it what it is, more of a place, kind of like, you know, welcome back to the old late-night playset or something yeah, like that. Like you know that. what I mean? Because this, this sh- the set is almost more of the star of the show than we are at this point, which is what I think it, I think is probably good. I think I'm that's the proper it. hierarchy there. Uh, but anyway, uh, tonight, 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 our guest is Mr. Mike Rowe. Maybe not the Mike Rowe you're thinking of. This fella, I don't know how many jobs he's had and the cleanliness of them, but he's not the guy from Discovery. This guy is a little bit more up our alley, um, career in comedy. We're going to talk to him and all of the different facets and some great stories I think we're going to hear today I as can't well wait. Uh, in just a little bit when he gets in here. But Mrs. Ryan, until then, we've got a few hellos to do. It's been a few days since we've seen everybody. Mm-hmm. We had a weekend in there and everything else. But most importantly, how are you doing? Today's one of those not awesome days, Jay Ryan. Well, it's been a few of those days, to be honest. Yeah, my body's falling apart, but like sometimes it just happens like all at once and then sometimes it's like a long slow yeah whatever this is like one of those like i fall down a cliff metaphorically speaking so with a big smile on i mean truly i feel like you're taking it better than you ever have before hopefully that's growth is it is it a realization is it your own growth what is it every time i go through one of these flare-ups and i reset I get a little bit better at finding how it all works because it's different every time, but it's usually a lot more similar. pieces, collecting more data along the way. Your more, own data, more data, and like different things get affected differently. So I have to recalibrate how I adjust that stuff every time. So wow. um, it just is, it feels like it should be more in control because it's an emotional uh, things i learned cross mix what is the it we're speaking about is it physical mental it ms it the fatigue what is the it um i'm not gonna say for sure because sometimes it's different but okay but i mean what are you referring to now this one specifically um my body gets triggered by pain and it just completely fogs up my head so it can't figure out which is which oh man and so then I get lost in the murk of that, trying to figure it out for a minute. So you're trying to figure out, like, wait, is the whatever's going on in your life that's causing a flare-up at that moment, wait, is this uh, something that's going on, or is this physical inside me, or is this mental, is this not even happening at all? Is that yeah. the kind of fight you're talking about? Mm-hmm. That sounds yeah. like a struggle. it's trippy. 
So. Sounds like a struggle. Well, it's hard to hard to maintain your reality doing that, and the reality is really all we have to you know call sanity, I guess. Yes, and I have none. So none. <laughs> I just wow, but, I was not trying to say that by any means. I, I'll own it. I I feel so but crazy must, sometimes because yeah, it's it must make you feel so, that way. Yeah, I never know what's real, what's not, and like then you add like my balance to that. Like, good luck figuring out that. <laughs> right. It's almost like a lost touch with reality type thing because your brain is losing touch and then your physical, wow, that's so weird. And then we figured out we made your cane the right height, like the proper height a cane should be. Like oh, there's a science to it. Oh, the blah, 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 the crack of your wrist, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and you're physically in a great place when you're standing there and you're just in one place and everything is right. Your shoulders line up, your hips, everything's good. And then you try to go somewhere and your body isn't and it, you need the longer it's almost like you, yeah, it's weird. It's like you need a, a stilt, a tripod, like a, a leaner. A ski poles. You need to walk with ski poles. Ski poles. Like training wheels. Yeah. I think that's it. Well, I, I did a lot of, I was looking around a lot of videos and things of people with kinks. I was trying to figure out why mine was so discombobulated sometimes. Okay. What did you figure out? Uh, nothing really except that typically... <laughs> Older people that use canes walk like this, Punched over, so yeah. it's not as much of a of a problem for them to like move and shuffle out. Of, they're already in that space. <laughs> depends on what, yeah, what you're using the so, cane yeah, for. Yeah, depends. It's all different. All right. Well, hang in there. I mean, this is one of those things that we're figuring out by the day. You know, we don't know how it's going to be. Um, and that brings me to where we were yesterday. Uh, we had a show planned. We had a fantastic guest booked who will be here soon. Uh, can I say her name? I mm -hmm. should be Laura. It's just Lauren, Lauren Rochelle, Rochelle, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Lauren Rochelle uh, is a, a business owner, CEO. Um, did I read that she was actually on the Forbes 30 Under 30 as well? Or I she believe was listed so. On so we know a couple of our young. Anyway, somebody we met up at Breakfast Club. Um, she and her partner had brought their new baby to. Uh, uh, did they bring the baby out that they were about to have? No, what was the deal? I can't remember. I think they I think, did. I think they did. Yeah, I think they did too. I, I met think them we met so the whole, briefly. The whole group. Anyway, with their uh, their 9-11 up there at Breakfast Club and uh, just, you know, one of those kindred spirits, good vibes kind of thing and uh, found out, oh my gosh, she's a really interesting person. We should have her on the show and blah, blah, blah. So that's what was going to happen yesterday. What actually happened yesterday was Mrs. Ryan's energy was in the shitter and so was her body and really everything. You want to, anything you want to share with that? I overheated it and passed out and fell down. It was very weird. And then I so was exhausted that. trying to, that's exhausting. That's how it all happens. Yeah. It culminates in like my body literally, or we were in the middle of a conversation and I heated and yep. fell down. She doesn't, uh, none of her, it's like, imagine a race car or a steam engine is even better because there's so many gauges and all these different levers and gauges and, and different things, sensors and whatever. Um, and it's very, very complicated. All of her gauges are broken, don't work. They've been ripped out, sold for scrap. I don't know what happened. <laughs> False readings. But somehow, like, <laughs> I'm her sensor, so I have to see a lot of this stuff coming. I didn't see this yesterday. It out of the blue um, and just boom happened. But I don't know. I'm glad that I'm usually there with you to be your sensors. That's sometimes why we got to skedaddle out of a, a, a car show real quick or something like that, too, because I'll see it coming on or whatever. I'll see the eyes go crossed and whatever else. And it's like, drink some water. Let's sit down the whole bit, get some food, whatever it is. Um, and then sometimes we just got to go, like Keanu up at New Newcombs. <laughs> Bubba, I got yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, 
So I feel like that pretty much has us caught up. That's we had some nice time at the weekend. I don't remember where we went. L.A. Cars and Coffee was great. Breakfast had Club was really great, great weekend. Um, and it was great to see so many people out there. That's for sure. Definitely. I talked to some new people at Cars and Coffee. It was really fun. Yeah, so. that was super neat. Uh, Mrs. Ryan, that's all I have for that. I have a quick East Coast feed to play, oh, yeah. and then uh, and then Dave watch, and then what's going on? Okay. That's all. That's it. And then we're gonna get our guest in here. So, because uh, I'm excited to hear some stories. The, the people yeah. that we have stories to talk about are spectacular and right up my alley. I can't even even if the stories suck. It's like yeah, but you were there, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think they will. Um, okay, East Coast feed. Danbury Chive and Richfield BMW, I'm thinking. Let's roll it and see where we are. Mr. and Mrs. Ryan, East Coast Speed, Jim Delaney and I. Hey there. Sitting out here by the lake at work, a little, uh, oh. little ambiance, you know. And Delaney, what, what do we have for lunch bar? today? Some uh, really fancy dirty cool. water dogs. So, you know dirty water hot dogs that are like in Manhattan that you can get on the corner for like a fucking dollar? Well, so this guy is like in Ridgefield. It's called Chez Lenard. And they charge like $25 a hot dog, and they put it all in some other fucking language, like French or something. And it makes it worthwhile. What do we get? What do we get? We got relish and mustard. Mustard, relish, bacon. What else, what else do you really need in a hot dog? So I'm going to take you over real quick, you know, because I know you guys are wondering what's going on here on the East Coast today. And uh, look, Christian's here. Say hi, Christian. Ball or corn, there he goes. Cornhole. Corn get everybody involved. We got them all involved. But here, take a look. Just take a look at the line of people. Just waiting. They got a basketball? There they go. Oh, everybody's there. And look, yeah, a lot of actually dirty cards. dogs. Dirty with a hot dog. That was it. That's our random day. Love you. East Coast feed out. Wow. I love that, Kaz, man. Good grief. It's a lot of activity. Yeah, that's pretty there. cool. And it doesn't look like it's, uh, you know, sometimes they'll do that stuff for the customers and everything. Oh, it's a fair day, and you get them in to buy the, sell the cars and the whole thing. This almost uh, almost definitely seems to just be for the employees, right? That's out what back it looked like thing? for me. Yeah. yeah. Just in place. Appreciation. Kudos to Ridgefield BMW over there in Ridgefield, Connecticut, right down Route 7. I was laughing at you, Mrs. Ryan, when I came into the studio because, because right before we were about to start today, uh, we found out, I found out that our guest is from the same area that I'm from in Connecticut. And and so he said, oh, we'll talk about it out there. I said, Mrs. Ryan, I just got to go to the bathroom real quick and then we'll start it up. And she said, okay, great. So I started to walk away and she's like, so so where are you from? Where is that? (laughs) I'm directionally challenged. I literally was trying to f- see in my head where it was in Connecticut. Oh, yeah. I, and You've then, dr- well, well, we'll get to all of that. But that's uh, I obviously I, I have all of these pieces. So I was like, oh, well, wait. Anyway, I just I love her so much. I love that we do this. I love that you're being yourself now and not being so, you know, self-conscious about it. I just, I just love you. I think you're the best. Uh, 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 is that it? Dave's, Dave Watch. Dave Watch. Mrs. Ryan, Dave Watch. Oh Dave my God. Watch. All right. Yep. Do the thing. Yep. There it is. Woohoo! I don't have any music. To... <laughs> but it's something to put up so it's not so awkward while I get the calendar out. All right, Mrs. Ryan. Today is October 2nd, isn't it? So we've got a few of these to do. All right, today is October 2nd. I am going to put an X on that, denoting that Mr. David Letterman is not sitting in that chair. However, if you have been paying attention and following along at home, we are on a quest to get David Letterman on this show. Uh, and we're making progress. <laughs> we're doing pretty well. a little well. closer every day. <laughs> it's kind of an amazing um, thing, and it's going to happen, and we're just so amazed by all of it. I don't know when. Uh, but, Mrs. Ryan, do we have an update today on Dave Watch 2019? 
the lady I know who knows the guy that whatever blah blah has been traveling and they crossed paths last week, but they're going to reconvene this week. Very nice. And beyond that, we, I believe, are reaching out specifically. We were given permission last week. Uh, oh, OK. Yes. So and so. And then we are doing that same outreach yeah. as well today. So it's a it's a wonderfully exciting time. I, it's so it literally makes me a little uh, the fact that some, the fact awesome. that somebody's waiting and prepared to take that phone call. Not somebody. I mean, like the guy is waiting the guy that isn't dave the one guy you need to get through to get to Dave. i got all my level. butterflies again that i haven't had since the very beginning of my pr day really yes that's not that's for anybody else that's not like mrs ryan usually when it comes to the work stuff she smacks right back into that person and that like take charge yeah you went to a u of m i went to u of m let's get this done <laughs> i went i had a moment of like the, how exciting this is. All right, Mrs. Ryan. I've gone on and on and on. Dave Watch is exciting. That's going to happen. Please stay tuned. Uh, it's time to ask the question that's on everyone's mind. <laughs> Ooh, what's going on, Mrs. Ryan? The VA has finally outlawed smoking at their medical facilities. Yeah, they I did it this one. summer, um, and they're like now actively the campaigning. the Veterans Administration, right? The VA, mm-hmm. yep. So like across the country, they're just finally implementing and really putting force behind it to get that off the medical campuses. Yeah, I think that's a good call in general. I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked about it. There was at one point in my life where I would have been up in arms, but like I completely. Oh, when you were a smoker, sure. Yeah, but I understand it all differently now, and I think that's an awesome way to go. When you were a smoker, you weren't spending much time at VA hospitals. No, I was not, but I was adamant about smoker rights, and I could smoke anywhere that was outside. I could do whatever I want to. I was it. a dick. Yeah. Fully on it, no. but whatever. It came with a lot of the life that you lived. That part of that entitlement came along with it, you know? Yes. To operate that way, you had to live in that land of entitlement. Yeah, it's funny. Anybody I've ever respected realizes, like, you know, so-and-so, they had this job, and then they don't anymore. And they're like, oh, don't you miss whatever? And, like, I didn't have that stuff. That position had that stuff. Me as a man, just a a guy. Just a guy like everybody else. Yeah. And it, it was, like, the most, I don't know, equalizing thing. And ever since then, I just held on to it. Yeah, it's a good room. I need to remember. I I should tape that to my forehead, I think. There is a there's only one land bridge already in California, but they're building another one in Agora Hills that crosses over the 10 lane freeway to let wildlife. Oh, right, right, right. Connect because right now it's um, some of them are stuck. We're calling that a land bridge. That's what they called it in this article. there's a uh, the Santa Monica Mountains. Like the, the, there's a lot of population in there that gets stuck between. You know, I'm with you. I'm familiar with the whole thing. There was a there used to be a cougar that went back and forth, all, or a mountain lion that went back and forth mountain all the time. Lion. That was famous, had a name, and the whole thing, and I think perished in the uh, in the fires last year, the Wolseley Fire. Oh, well, uh, this it's going to be privately funded. It's near Gore Hills, so huh. they're going to make some waves to let wildlife get back together. These things are hit and miss. They, they, they either work great or, you know, whoops, not in the right place and they never use them. But I still think it's great to try. I, yeah, me too. Yeah, why not? Super neat. Um, something that you can do, I had no idea. You might have, actually, I should ask you. When you were a kid, did they have reading opportunities in schools for you to read to animals? Boy, this is interesting. Let me think about that. When I was a kid... 
riff was in. Reading is fundamental, and they had like Sesame Street and the Muppets, and they did the commercials and everything. So reading was very, very big. Reading to animals, I rem- I don't think so. I mean, I remember all of those nature things where you go, you see the snakes and all the things, but I don't remember. And, and sometimes you would go in a different room and they would read to you, but I don't think there was ever a combination. I didn't think for me either, but I didn't know. But if I love was... the idea of it because I love bridging the gap between human and animal, and there there really is a much smaller gap than most people realize. Well, the American, the Animal Humane Society is doing that, love and it. there's uh, different opportunities all in different humane societies I saw across the country where like there's programs for kids to go and read for an hour to pets to animals there. Wow, that I love it. I love it. I love it for so many reasons, and there's like different one has parents that go with groups and one is for schools and like there's really neat ways to get involved that way and it's just you kids can learn how to read better and animals like calm down like it's really a cool opportunity it's amazing how much your environment will react to you once you take the time to react to act with it i don't know exactly what i'm saying like even if you talk to plants for a certain way you know it's a ghostbusters too if you react positively around the slime, you're going to get one reaction. If you react negatively, it's going to get a different reaction, you know? It's yeah. all the same thing. Everything is sort of that way. People, think, everything. Yeah, a lot of it. Um, and then lastly, oh, ho. a guy I have come to really like, I was not a fan of initially, but Jim Carrey is going to write a novel. Oh, yeah. I didn't read the story. I just saw the headline. I wanted to give it my full attention later. Tell, tell us about it. It sounds a little bit conceptually like how sh- swimming with sharks for as for a movie like because it's real but not true okay so he's quote writing this so you're saying novel. swimming with sharks was based on some real stuff but it's not based on a you know specifically a real person yeah you people remember swimming with sharks it's from the 90s uh, it was kevin space <laughs> probably can't even watch it anymore it was kevin spacey and uh, and frank whaley bunch of people were in it michelle forbes a bunch of people that i know their names and no one else probably will i don't know the names of anyone other than kevin spacey but like but it was was... a hollywood executive whose assistant has a troubled life under that executive and then takes things into his own hands eventually yeah Yeah. uh, now you brought up a good point it might be pretty industry specific and i uh, thought it was uh, other uh, age the guy that that he's replacing uh, on the job is he's won an oscar as well benicio del toro like everybody's in that movie yeah, there's a lot of people in that movie. Well, Jim Carrey, he's got season two of Kidding coming out, so yes. it's all over. That this is, um, man, do I love that a show, passion project. Highly recommend if anybody else hasn't seen it. Highly recommend. Kidding, it's gonna be it's awesome. I I love that show. But his uh, novel that he's making is kind of a spin on reality, in that it's like it's about Hollywood and agents and people in the business and. Blah, blah, blah. I think it's going to be interesting. I think it'll be fascinating. Definitely. And on that note, it's been... <laughs> I love it, Mrs. Ryan. That's been What's Going On. Wow, great job. All right. Our guest said, what, is going to be 20 minutes? I was like, nah, probably like 10. Nah, it's been almost 20 minutes. Typical. 18 and a half. Mrs. Ryan, I love you so much. Let's take a quick break. Get our guest Mike Rowan here to tell us all sorts of awesome. great stories about some famous people and, uh, and some of his accomplishments himself. He's no slouch. So, Mike Rowan, more to come right after this. A robot sex change is a complex and dangerous procedure. Replacing your testosterone oil with Fembot lubricants can cause wild mood swings, and the effects may be irreversible. Well, let's get started. Ow! Ow! 
Ow! <laughs> oh! Hey! Oh, this is gonna be great! We'll stay up late, trade stories. <gasps> Ooh! Let's watch the video of my ballet recital. Here it is! <gasps> Sunshine Bear! Wait! <gasps> I... can't believe this room. This is the, the best of the best of indie filmmakers in Hollywood sitting right here in this audience right now. It's... It's scary to think, you know, I mean, if a bomb went off, there would be nobody left to make a documentary about it. <laughs> Though it turns out at the Adult Film Awards, the award for Best DP does not go to the Director of Photography. Our first contestant to know a thing or two about soul food. He's from Korea. <laughs> Tell us, Jimmy. Do you cook meat by the pound or from the pound? Our next contestant is Smokey. Now, it says here you used to be a human being. Well, how about that? So what brings you to the contest today? You holding it in my bedroom. Hey, Lois, thought you might be in the mood for a classic. Spider-Man! Spider-Man! Here comes Peter on the clothesline, but his name's not Peter, really. Spider-Man! Spider-Man! Come on, Lois, let's get busy. Maybe in the garden right here. Spider-Man! Spider-Man! Touch my can with your hand. Spider-Man! Oh, help, Spider-Man! I'm being attacked by the evil rosebush. Uh, I'll save you, Mary Jane. Ah. <laughs> oh, my God! I don't know what they're fighting about, but I think Dad's winning. Go, Dad! Kids, can we have some privacy, please? Yeah, you guys are more annoying than that announcer on those TV commercials. Hi, I'm Al Harrington, President and CEO of Al Harrington's Wacky Waving Inflatable Arm Flailing Tube Man Emporium and Warehouse. Thanks to a shipping error, I am now currently overstocked on Wacky Waving Inflatable Arm Flailing Tube Men, and I am passing the savings on to you! Make a splash at your next presentation. Keep Grandma company. African American, hail a cab. Testify in church or just raise the roof. Whatever your wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man needs are. So come on down to Al Harrington's wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man emporium and warehouse. Route 2 in Weekapog. As many as you know, last year Comedy Central threw a very successful roast of Pamela Anderson. And this year, in keeping with that tradition, we're roasting another bad actor with big tits. All right, environment, you've met your match. <laughs> hey, get back in the sewer, weirdy. No mutants on the surface. But he ruined my wedding dress! Honey, that thing was ruined the minute it went on you. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, it always makes me laugh when I see Artie Lang on stage. <laughs> Knowing I'm gonna outlive him. <laughs> So, Calculon, do you want to set up this clip from all my circuits? No, I think it's self-explanatory.
funny story. The script called for me to say yes, but I gave it a little twist. Anecdote accepted. Snappy comeback not found. Also tonight, astronaut Leroy Chow is here as well. Leroy Chow. There's a picture of him in space. Look. That's him in space, and that's him in, in Sears, I guess. That's him. <laughs> You know, they say, and this is what they'll say, the reason that we're here tonight is to honor Flavor Flav. Flav, I don't know how old you are, but you don't look good. When I first saw you sitting up there, I thought it was an open casket memorial for James Brown. Whitney, I found my wedding ring. Bobby Brown, you stupid fool. That ain't your wedding ring. Hell to the north. That's an onion ring. Well, I'm wearing it anyway. It's my prerogative. Rings a ring, ain't no thing love to sing about your deep fried bling. I never seen white trash black people before. Uh, everybody good? <clears throat> with that, we are back, sitting here with Mike Rowe. Hi, Mike Rowe. Hello. Where's my camera? Uh, it's going to be, well, it depends on what you want. You want a close-up? There you no, are. No, no, nobody How's wants that. that. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just hiding my, I'm hiding my girth. Oh, oh here we go. <laughs> I've, I've yet to lose the baby weight. Oh. You know, it's. It's a work in progress. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> it's a lifetime. It is. <laughs> uh, what's going on with you, man? Thank you so much for being here. Well, I really I'm appreciate glad to be it. here. I, uh, uh, you guys are great. I really like your style. It's just a kind of cool, laid back, like you, it draws people in. It's it's really good. I hope that's true. And I, I, I was not aware of the show until I was asked to come here. So I did some research and found it. Well, we um, we sort of have been growing in a in a fishbowl here. Um, we didn't really push the button on. Hey, everybody, please watch us until just recently. So we're only now really starting to roll out, even though we're a year or so into it. Ah, okay. But uh, but thank you, thank you very much. Appreciate it. And if I knew like you had this, I would have brought with me. I have one of Johnny Carson's mugs with the photo on it behind me yes now, with with one of johnny's actual microphones too just because i you can tell looking around this is yes i love it all now i have to ask though is that an official sanctioned mug go ahead because my friend was a writer on the tonight show uh, and at the, he was there at the end and there was oh and johnny had like a case he had like a crate of them yeah like a couple dozen and they had them made at a specific place so That's, that was the place is no longer in business. Otherwise, we would have ours made at the same place. Burbank Mug Company. I now, can just, say they're. If name. you're interested, I've seen them go for about two thousand on eBay. If you want to work something out, we, the one that's up there is a is a, a proppy guy with the you know it has the whatever the video collection on the back right, right, or whatever. Right. But the mic is one of his real mics from the uh, from the New York days. Oh, cool. Yeah. From, now from I Rock. actually worked in the Ed Sullivan Theater. Oh boy. Uh, and I got, at what point? Well, were you on Kate and Alley? I was, in fact. Come on, really? I was the audience warm-up guy. Get out of here! I was. That's what. Did you know that? That's what in the '80s. That's what the Ed Sullivan Theater was. It was sitcoms, and I think mainly just Kate Nally for at least five or six years there. And there was a Merv Griffin was there for a little bit. <laughs> well, they would bring all sorts of people in. I think Hollywood Squares did a week there. <laughs> what was great? First, I worked upstairs in the building in the office building it was an av repair shop rental and repair shop what floor were you on i was on the same floor that later became the letterman offices so at the top it, yeah this was in 1980 wow and uh was it a dump the pictures of the theater itself were all it was a shithole well while i was there they did a renovation to bring in the kate and Alley show 
Oh, my gosh. So that's why I got a microphone from the Ed Sullivan <gasps> Theater, and I got a CBS on-air light with the logo and the whole thing, because we knew the, the guys, the custodians of the place. Yeah. Now, and a lot of that shit would just be thrown away anyway. Yeah. And the theater... <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> the theater is officially a museum, too. So there's a curator there. I didn't know that. So, yeah. So I was the audience warm-up guy for Kate and Allie for a couple seasons. So the curator would show me stuff in the theater. So at one point, he said, I'm going to show you something. Nobody... Can, can I ask you a question? And yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off. At this point, was the control room still in the theater? You it, know what I mean? There used to be where, where the audience is big, was bigger for Letterman than it is for Colbert now. In the old days, that used to be like and even when the Beatles were there, when they converted the theater for television, had like a third of the audience was all control room. Oh, you know, I don't think it was in the, in the okay. seats, right? Yeah, yeah, downstairs. Right. It, it was not. I didn't. I never saw the control room. Gotcha. Fact. Um. But Sorry one, to interrupt you. One point, the curator said, I'm gonna, "I can show you something that nobody's seen before. Really, not many people know about." Oh wow! And he took me to this off stage, stage right, left, right, stage right. There was a panel in the wall. He pushed it open, and it revealed like this catacomb. So I said, "Come inside. I'll show you." At first, I'm like, "I don't know this guy. Is he going to murder me underground? <laughs> Where are we going?" I can't believe that he is. He's probably. We're talking about the same places. Uh, so he took me in this tunnel. It was a weird... Underneath the stage. You're underneath yeah. the stage now, right? and it's going off to the side <laughs> under the street. Uh, it's felt like. I wasn't sure where we were going because it's like we're going deep into the... And it's just like a string of lights dimly lighting it. We're, it's like a coal mine of, or something. I know where you're going. Yeah, I found that too. Oh, you found the same thing? Yeah, by accident one night. Um, I, know, and, I, I know where this is going, but I can't wait for you to tell everybody because I've never talked about it. Uh, so that midpoint... There was a shrine to Gary Moore. Oh, I didn't know about this. I'm sorry. And it was a framed oil painting with, like, lights around it. And the curator wasn't exactly sure what that was. And he said, it's just been here. And he maintains it, I guess. <laughs> and then the, the back, it kept going. And at one point I'm going, well, he's just here to murder me and I'll be dead under the streets of Manhattan. <laughs> yes. Um but then uh, he. Took I've been me. down there. It's not finished. It's not a finished space. This is not, an, this is not a hallway. There, the fact that you're like, <laughs> you oh, under the city, and like, I know that you're at that adult, like, you're already off in the. You might as well be at that sugar thing in Hawaii that we go to, that weird sugar mill. All right, getting off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But it eventually brought me to a door, and the door was opens to the cordial bar next door and he said gleason had it built he put the trap door oh, in yeah. yeah when he so, was doing the show uh he did the jackie gleason show there yeah when my dad was growing up in stanford connecticut he used to go on saturday nights to go watch that show tape in the ed sullivan theater and he said when he would go in it said the jackie gleason show and the honeymooners and whatever and then when they come out it said toast to the town with ed sullivan mm. for the next night yeah so that was cool. That is the coolest. And it <clears throat> it's uh, what is, uh, I think it was Angela's Pizza uh, later Angelo's, on. Maybe, maybe yes. it is now. That, I, that it was, was McGee's my... Pub way back when. Yeah. Um, and then also doing audience warm-up, the, the curator, by the way, knew, like, this is, exactly, this is where Ed stood. He was able to tell me exactly. Wow. And, because he was probably there, right? Uh, or at least had all the... Well, he was given all the history of the place. He was a young guy, but he was, I'm oh. sure he was given the history of it all, but... This uh, is different from the building engineer. They always had a different building engineer. This is solely like a landmark status kind of person. It's a guy that has to kind of sort of make sure everything is being Don't properly. cut that. Don't make yeah. that. Yeah, okay. And uh, 
So this is how long ago it was. When I was doing audience warm-up, there was a guy, one of the crew, kind of off to the side doing hacky sack, you know, playing hacky sack. <laughs> and then someone from the audience said, can you, can that guy come out and do it for us or do the hacky sack to the, you know. So I said, all right, I'll bring him out center stage. Like you're Ed Sullivan. Right. And I said, <laughs> I told him I'm going to stand where Ed Sullivan stood and I'm going to introduce him like Ed Sullivan. I'll do my lame impression. But I told him, but every time I say the Beatles... You have to scream as loud as you can. Good for you. That's a good warm-up guy. Um, so I did my, you know, like, all right, before we bring out the Beatles. Oh, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. But they screamed, and it, like, sent a chill up my spine. It was like... In that room. There was like that little... The spirit of it showed up for a second, and it was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And like they, even the audience kind of felt like that moment. They kind of froze for a second, you know. You're in the... The acoustics are... That's where it happened. Yeah. That's the spot. I love that. Yeah, that was cool. That was great. Well, we didn't even get to you or any of the other stuff yet, but you grew up a Letterman fan too? Yes. I obviously, massive, too much of a Letterman fan probably. Yes. I used to like <laughs> basically sneak into tapings, but I, I remember the morning show very, very clearly, you know. With um, Frank Owens. Yes. Um, the band leader back then. <laughs> I desperately wanted to write for the show, and I was just kind of learning how to write. I, I was doing stand-up at the time. You grew up in Connecticut as well, right? Yes. Were you living in Connecticut during this time? No, I had moved already moved to New York City. I was doing stand. Oh, I lived in Midtown. Manhattan. So you, as an as a young adult, are sneaking into the okay, okay. I was well, I was nineteen, twenty, something like that. I, yep. I started doing stand up when I was young. I wow. I did it. In my, I did it from from Waterbury, Connecticut, which is a little factory town. Uh, and I was just obsessed with stand up, and uh, it got to, you know I, you know at that age as a teenager, it's when my friends were getting high listening to Frampton comes alive yeah. and, and Foghat and I was playing like Carlin records and the Steve Martin yes. records and all that stuff you were so, a weirdo yes and any, I looked for anything that had stand up on TV anything that was funny and it, it and then I would just tell my friends these jokes I was crazy that you heard on TV right yes yeah and I was so into Dangerfield and I would memorize the jokes and I'm 19 but telling jokes about my lawyer oh. and my wife yeah know? <laughs> I'll tell you um my teacher. <laughs> and I always used to uh, – Rodney, especially on The Tonight Show, was amazing and great. And that's where I would be my, my font of, like, this is where I'm going to get my jokes to tell my friends. And It's the well, right? Yes. <laughs> and uh, so it occurred to me one night that maybe I can write Rodney jokes. Maybe I can write those kind of jokes because I felt like they were so instilled in me. They were becoming part of my DNA. And then one night he was on The Tonight Show and he's uh, he's, exp he's for, well, Johnny had him for a moment sort of really talking about his life. And, and Roddy was saying he was talking about his club Dangerfield in Midtown Manhattan. And he talked about when he was young, when he first started doing stand up, I think, in the Catskills, his name was Jack Roy. He went by the name of Jack Roy. Wow. So I put this diabolical scheme together where I got my mom's manual typewriter and I wrote two pages of jokes and I sent them to Jack Roy at, to get his attention. at, at Dangerfields. And I'm 17 or what? Eight, I'm, yeah, 17. God damn, man. And I sent them. I'm so impressed. And I just figured, you know, like a couple weeks went by and I kind of forgot about it. And, and then uh, I, had, I was in a finished off basement bedroom and I just remember one day after dinner. The phone rings, and then my mom at the top of the stairs is like, Mike, there's a Rodney on the phone for you? <laughs> I'm like, what? 
and I pick up the extension. I'm like, hello? Hey, Mike, it's Rodney. How are you doing? You okay? All right. How are you? you know what I mean? I'm like, what? Oh, Holy yeah, smokes. I got your jokes. You know, they're pretty good. They're all right. You know, I like them. You know, they're pretty good. He goes, but they're not for me. They're not my kind of jokes. But you should keep writing. You got to keep doing this. And Encouraging then, you. Yeah. And and I told him I wanted to do stand-up. You know, don't come to my club. It's no good. You know? And then he told me about the improv and Catch a Rising Star. And he kept me on the phone for like 15 minutes. To, wow. And... Uh, Giving you advice. Yes. And then like a week later, he, he sent a handwritten letter. It's just like, look, it's going to take a long time to learn what's funny. And it's, you know, it took me eight years before I started getting laughs. And he was wildly supportive. And eventually when I moved to New York, probably it wasn't that long after that, a year and a half, two years later, I got back in touch with Rodney. And I, I said, remember me? And I have more jokes. Yeah, come over to my club. I'll be there on Friday night, you know. And uh, he has this basement dressing room with no uh, windows or anything and it's me with my little notes and rodney's pacing and i'm pitching jokes to him he's wearing his robe and um uh, i don't want to say she's ugly but you know and rodney, I don't know, it's all right, you know <laughs> and at one point he he turns while i'm pitching and stops for a second i said did something hit and then he turns to the sink opens his robe and pees in the sink <laughs> i gotta pee in the sink you know they don't give me a toilet down here you know <laughs> And I figured, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm officially... But that's the usual Rodney story, just a guy in his robe. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes in Hollywood, you got to pee in the sink. You know? <laughs> that's what I, it, I brought it to Hollywood with me, the life lessons of show business. But Thanks for sharing. Well, okay, so what got you into comedy? Because I became a massive fan of it, too, growing up in the same area. I grew up in Wilton and lived in Danbury for a while, so I was really right down 84 from you. At least where Waterbury was. Yeah. Uh, were you in Connecticut becoming a fan of comedy? Yes. Just through the kids and that you found the records and while your friends are listening to rock and roll? It's interesting. First, my, uh, I think as a little kid, my dad owned a bar in Waterbury, downtown Waterbury. It was a little... Tough place? Can I like swear, a rough by place? the way? Can I say shithole? Sure. <laughs> uh, it was a, but it was a cool shithole bar. And I was, from ages like 7 to 10... I basically hung out all the time in my dad's bar. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, the the drunk locals and some pimps and some, you know, uh, drug addicts and stuff like that. But also my dad had like 10 uh, softball teams. There was like the bar league. And the rules were if you, if you won, then the, you have to bring a losing team to your bar. So it was sort of oh. a business. Thing. Yeah. So I remember... Uh, hang out mostly with the guys from the softball team so they were in their 20s or whatever but i noticed like the camaraderie through making each other laugh those guys were all about making each other laugh absolutely and i was sort of infected by it and my dad was also like really corny is, and funny is your dad behind the bar during these times or is your dad kind of you know in another room running a no, register he's, he's, or... he was usually behind the bar yeah okay that's I'm picturing the same thing. Yeah, my dad was a drinker, so I grew up in the exact same environment okay. on, when my parents divorced, and it was the same thing. Though I learned that holy shit, you can command a space if you make people laugh, and it was like that was my first comedy club yes. experience. Yeah, very similar. Um, yeah, and, and it it and also it part of it was I mean first of all you know kind of learning how to be funny and then being accepted into groups that you maybe would not have been accepted in right. Uh, well, you all of a sudden are qualified yeah. to be in other groups that you weren't qualified. Yeah. If you can't play in sports, what are you doing talking to the jock? But if you can make the jock laugh, holy crap. Right. And it's also, too, like, you know, I I, I didn't want to drink and smoke 
this to, is me too. To, to hang out with the cool guys, but hey, it makes us laugh, you know. I, I used to be able to do an impression of a siren that was loud enough where on the street corner cars would pull over. So that was like this crazy trick that this kid can do. Let's go hang out with Mike. He's going to make cars pull over. And, yeah. It's hysterical. As a kid, this is a, this yeah. is a, this is a jackpot, yeah. gold mine. Yeah. So, uh, but how did that feel for you? Did it, it get? Did it hit all the buttons that? Obviously, it led to this. Yes, and it just it, it just kind of grew. It just kept growing. And it, it, by the time I was 15, 16, I just knew I wanted to be a stand-up. Wow. You know, I just knew it. So out of high school, I literally teamed up with a friend, and we just started. There, there was a ground round. You know the ground round? Of course I do. They're gone burger, now, right? Burger Bear Place. I love those It was that and Beefsteak Charlie's. Beefsteak Charlie's and the ground round were the two ones that I did from that time frame. Yeah, and the ground round was had a, a contest, a, a an amateur, uh, you know. You're talking about performing at the ground round. Yes. I remember that, too. <laughs> well, this was a contest, and prize was 50 bucks, and you get a ground round T-shirt. And I remember specifically you get the little baseball helmet of uh, ice cream, the ice cream, yeah. yeah. So that was your prize, <laughs> like friendlies. And I just looked at it as an opportunity, like this, I could be in, on stage in front of people. And uh, so, my friend, who became my comedy partner for this, we based our act on. There's a chance you may know this, uh, Skiles and Henderson. No, nope. not at the moment, but uh, let's go. Skiles and Henderson were a comedy team, probably. Uh, they weren't on TV that much. I'm not sure where they, they probably were in Vegas or something. So the premise basically was uh, one guy, it's almost like the Ventrogas Act. Like okay. One guy has a serious thing to do. And every time he's serious, the other guy, in this case, would make a stupid noise or sound or emphasize what he's talking about with the noise. So that I just discovered somehow I could do all these crazy vocal impressions. So we just cobbled together this idea of like, uh, there's so many commercials on TV that if the emergency broadcast system came on and said the world was ending, that would be interrupted with commercials. <laughs> that was our little that's, premise. Yeah, that's good. So he, my friend would read like the straight side, you know, the world is being attacked. Please run from your home. And I'd be like, <laughs> just making these loud noises. And then he'd go, but first this word from, you know, Snickers or whatever. And then they'd stop and do a commercial, you know. And it was our, you know, eight minutes of that. But but it shows your creativity. It shows that you were trying to get inside there, you know? Yeah. And what was kind of fun about it, though, I remember, and so this was like my first time on stage, so it you get more and more, and in, in, it becomes more infectious. Um, while I'm up there making all my stupid noises, I'm kind of looking around, and people are, like, really listening, and they're engaged, and they're into it. And then, and then I see people from the bar side start to file in. They're like, what the hell is going on over there? Right. And, like, waitresses and people came in from the kitchen. They're like, whoa. We gotta. And already I'm going, like, well, there's going to be a jet waiting for me to take me to Hollywood after this to <laughs> yeah. take me under the set. Johnny's on the phone already, yeah. right? Yeah. So we're celebrities already. I mean, we'll. Um, and then we lost. We lost to a very – corpulent uh, Tom Jones impersonator. <laughs> oh. And then we're like, but the truth I mean, was, I love Tom Jones as much as the next girl almost, but yeah. that's still. It was, a, so, so the first thought was it didn't matter because the response that, we, we actually got a standing ovation and I've never had that ever again in my you, career. You won. You won. And then the funny thing is they came to us after and booked us for eight weeks at the ground round at 50 bucks <laughs> a week. 
when we were like, holy cow. And That's we more got, than the coupon or whatever it would have been. And we got the ice cream. And the oh, you still got that. <laughs> so, uh, what was your team? Uh, Weren't they the sports uh, helmets? Red Sox. Oh, of course. You, you get to pick your uh, helmet. So um, Waterbury was far enough up that you were Red Sox over Mets? It was, yeah. Not, there was a mix. There was, there was, yeah. Yankees was a lot of the people too, but it, that really? seemed more, uh, but from my experience, anywhere where I grew up, they were more Mets fans than, uh, okay. than New York, yeah, than uh, Yankees. Gosh, that's great. I can't. I haven't heard ground round, and I don't know how long they're all. They're not in. There's yeah. not a single one they're left out there. Yeah. No. And then sort of a little bit later. <laughs> Same on, with Beefsteak Charlie's. I'm guessing during the '80s comedy boom, there was some ground rounds are still available for comics to so i was still performing at the ground round in the 80s was there a ground round circuit where you there could was just... there was two or three like upstate new york maybe one in jersey or something okay uh, i could see like a catskills ground round or something like that or lake george ground round this was uh it actually was what's it maybe southern connecticut or or like maybe brewster new york or there something was one that. in danbury right on oh, the on the yeah. border of brewster there was one that a ground might, round bet, at a holiday inn at the top of the hill right off the exit I of the highway that's the one that's the one yeah. Yeah. You know what it was before it was the ground round years and years ago? No. Beefsteak Charlie's. It's <laughs> <laughs> <a> true story. <laughs> hey um are you a drummer? You were tapping before mm-hmm. and then you've got a story about Buddy Rich, so I was just curious. Oh, Buddy Rich. I uh, one of the all time greatest drummers and one of Johnny Carson's best friends. Yes. And I got to open for Buddy Rich and I because I am a drummer and so it was kind of like I'm oh, a drummer also. Or uh, what well, used to be? Yeah, I, I until my tinnitus kind of came oh, about. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not, I'm fine now, but I don't. As mind. long as you're not a drummer. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, as a kid, I played. Uh, uh, what had, kind of music? We, I was 13, 14 years old. Garage band music at the time. Smoke on the water. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, sure. Uh, Johnny Be Good. Oh, that kind of stuff. Of course. Uh, but rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, self-taught, but not very good uh <laughs> but i continued to play into my teens into probably until i was 16 17 until i started dating and then it goes out the window yeah uh so it is this is so interesting Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> in fact i remember like i i also kind of started to learn see if i can teach myself how to play jazz stuff yeah and, and that's uh, why i was asking i came up through jazz i loved it there's a uh, moment's notice you know that song it's, no but it's a very complicated you know and so oh, okay you, very splashy and you put the headphones on and listen to the song and play along mm-hmm. it sounds great you take the headphones off and it sounds like you're <laughs> dropping silverware yes right? yes uh, so I was, I remember I was playing the uh, punchline in Atlanta, and right next door between shows there was a jazz club, and you can sit in. And uh, I figured, uh, I can play that song. I can tell them to play Moments Notice, and I'll play in like I did in my basement. And I just remember, uh, uh, like two horn players, and I'm like behind them, and I'm like three, done it, and I'm like, I just remember the home horn players simultaneously like. They're playing. They both kind of like. Crazy moment. Standing ovation. Yeah. No. <laughs> Not that time. Or Norm Crosby standing ovulation. But uh, so yes. But when I got to open for Buddy Rich, there was a place called the Bottom Line in New York City, which was a big music venue place. Um, so I was like, well, "This is." Great. But you're opening with comedy, yes, right? Or, okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, although the I drumming do, thing's a coincidence. But I do a drumming vocal impression thing that I that gave me a perfect score was on, when I was on Star Search in 1986. You were on Star Search? <laughs> yes. How many stars did you get? Four, four out of four. Four stars! Yes. That's amazing. Uh, I beat Rich Jenny. Come on. Yes. I watched that show. I remember that show. That's what maybe how I found Richard Jenny. Oh, okay. I was a kid obsessed with all the stuff. Same as you, all of the stuff. For me, it was mostly talk shows, but Ed McMahon from Talk Show had another show <laughs> called Star Search where they had comedy. So I watched that too. Yes. They also had spokesmodels. And that's kind of yes. nice also. I have a whole spokesmodel story, but there's not enough time for that. <laughs> anyway, uh, all right. Well, I stepped on I, you with Star Search. That's a story for another time. I hope you'll I come back already. And then I got beat by uh, Robert Schimmel. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was uh, – by the way, I, I just finished writing a memoir, a memoir for – no one for my family, I guess, for whatever. But. I wouldn't say that. And me. Yeah, I'll read this already. <laughs> um, but it, it gets into all those stories. Like, there's like, it's a 20 page story on, on Star Search because the series of events that got me there and the weird coincidence. There's a whole thing with David Brenner and then oh, I love David Jenny and the spokesmodel that, you know. Especially like, if you were there for multiple weeks. These things, you know, sometimes, were they done live? They weren't done live, but they no, were done week to week. So it's yeah. not like you did six in one day or whatever. Yeah. Gosh, that's amazing. All right, but uh, back when you did Star Search was supposed to be just a by the way. Yeah. Um, so I just thought it was cool that I can actually get to meet Buddy Rich, and then I get to share the same stage with him. Yeah. I was, you know, 24 or 5 or so whatever. even not being a drummer anymore, you still had the, oh, yeah, yeah. And, Buddy uh, Rich. In fact, uh, there were comedians um, who were friends of mine at the time who played music instruments and you could rent rehearsal space for like $20 an hour. So that, I was back to playing again because uh, we would just jam, you know. Oh, we okay. just, you know. So I was kind of back into it. Um, so this was cool. I, I'm like, I'm just nervous. I'm backstage waiting and, and uh, Buddy comes in with his entourage and I'm, I don't know what to do and then he just goes by himself into the dressing room and I just kind of get the courage. I just kind of tap on the door because I figure I can tell him I'm your opening act. And, blah, blah. and there's Buddy also wearing a robe. You know, he's <laughs> no pants and spindly legs. And he's eating his, you know, veggie thing. And I and he was really nice. And I explained myself and talked about the drums like this. And he talked in that cool scat like, eh, that's cool, man. Yeah, that's, man, uh, cool. Yeah, that's wild, you know. So I got to spend like, five ten minutes with him and he was great and nice and then we learn later you know in more recent times like do you know the buddy rich bus tapes do you know about all that sort of i've heard all sorts of things about do you know do you know that he was one of the he was like one of the most famous people of all time let alone the fact that he was just a drummer i don't i'm not super familiar with him he played drums with with charlie parker you know so it's like uh, okay uh so the cool thing, too, was like... But he was one of Johnny's best friends. So yeah. when they were on, I mean, they were on. They were just shooting the shit like this. There was, this yeah, there was not a promotional really thing. Good. So they were like, you watched that show when he was on. Sorry. And uh, so I was, I was, you know, I could stand backstage and he was literally like arm's length. But I could watch him from behind playing and stuff like that. So I was like mesmerized and that was cool. But so I didn't know of Buddy's reputation and it wasn't ah. particularly prevalent, I think, at the time. But what he did is he had uh, music. Uh, all the all the guys, all the horn players, I think, were young and just out of music school, and they were all great. But they all had uh, stacks of sheet music on their stands. There had to be I don't know hundred, and each song was a number. So each one was numbered, and they didn't know what song was going to be next. So 
and Buddy would go and because as he Buddy flew off the cuff because it's all about energy. So he yeah. he would. Oh, I'm sorry. And each song was a number yep. too. So it would be they would finish the song and then and then Buddy would go thirty eight. So first and then of all, you see the mad rush for everyone to find the thirty eight chart and bring it to the as top. Buddy starts playing already. Yeah. And he would even like whisper the song, uh, the number, you know, be like, oh, there, and the guy's like, what do you say? Everybody's Telephone game down the line. And then they're like flipping through oh the my. pages. And That's then Buddy was. But meanwhile, Buddy could play it all. Yeah. And he was like building like an excuse to yell at the guys later. Where, <laughs> where were you? I was far away into the song. You're still flipping for the music, you know. He just but he was born to yell. I always heard he was a yell. Is that what you meant about his ways? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just, you know, he just instigated. What, the, did you see that movie Whiplash? I yes. kind of thought a little bit of a, of a, you know, J.K. was just a little bit of his okay. tyrannical. I heard that there was a little bit. Buddy had a little bit of that because he was a perfectionist. He was so goddamn good at what he did, you know. Yeah. Sort of, I that forgive it a sense. little bit if you're that good. So you obviously know uh, Johnny was a drummer, right? Yeah. So my friend, when he was writing. There's all sorts of people. Yeah. Chevy Chase, too. Mel Brooks. Norm Crosby. I didn't know that one. Um so when my friend was writing on The Tonight Show, I had lunch with him, and then he brought me down to the set, and everything was empty. And uh, So I sat at Johnny's desk, right? Wow. And it's just him and I. This is around the corner. Yeah. Studio One. And uh, so my friend is standing here looking at me, and then he's like, Oh, shit. I mean, like, you I, shouldn't be there. Yeah, and he's like, get up, get up. Get up. I, and I go, he's, come on. And then Johnny's coming in <laughs> by himself. Johnny wanders in the studio, so the two of us are, like, hiding behind the curtain. Then Johnny comes up and just starts playing the drums. He just sits up at the thing and adds drums. Ed yeah. Shaughnessy. Yeah, that was like a cool moment. That's a really a, cool moment to uh, have yeah. witnessed. It's funny that you would say that. I was going to say that David Letterman also is a drummer that most people don't know about. Oh, I didn't know. Uh, not that great. <laughs> <laughs> but he also would often stumble into the studio during rehearsal or whatever and get behind Anton's drums and wasn't there and just go whacking away. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool. That's something about all those guys. Yeah. Whether they all wanted to be Johnny or whether they just all, there's something in, like a you in the comedy and the drumming. It's something, the rhythm, I don't know. Yeah. Timing. Or it's, it's energy. Know, all the jazz guys became junkies because they wanted to be like Charlie Parker. So that's what <laughs> That's true. <laughs> all that, yeah, that's true. Uh, <clears throat> well, we're talking about Letterman a little bit. One of the first guests that, to ever make a mark on that, the, I think he was on the morning show as well, but certainly the early late night show was, of course, Andy Kaufman. And you've got an Andy Kaufman story. I'll listen to any Andy Kaufman story. Well, uh, Andy, I mean, I, I was so young when I started the improv. I was, I was 19. Uh, it's funny talking about the drums because Andy started hanging out at the improv again. And this was around the time that he was wrestling. Oh. Uh, and he was walking around. He had the, the collar on and the whole thing. The Jerry Lawler days, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, so I just kept kind of cornering him and very carefully kind of just started talking to him and that sort of stuff and trying to build his trust because he's even in day to day, he just keeps his veneer, you know. Okay. Um, so first of all, there was a really nice moment where I talked to him enough that at one point he, you may remember, he went on the Letterman show and this is when he was sort of unshaven and sniveling and said he got fired from Taxi. And the security had to walk him out. Yeah, and I remember people this. were throwing money at him and stuff yeah. like that. So then I saw him the next night. And he it was a cool moment because he said, they really believed it. They thought I was – like he broke for a moment. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's a kind of a cool – Kind of a gift to give you, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So then uh, 
he wanted to do his Elvis at the improv. Why did he break? Was he excited that you to share it? Like why? I think he trusted he, he trusted you. Yes, that's really a neat thing. Yeah, because then he asked me to play the drums for him because he wanted to do Elvis on the improv stage. Wow! So I got to do the the Elvis thing with him, and that's it was awesome. simple, you know, rock and roll drums. So I could, the, I was pretty competent. And yeah, I did it. So I got to do that a few times, but then he had me uh, referee a wrestling match on the improv stage. Which is about the size of this desk, you know. And there's a piano on that stage. Yeah. <laughs> and he got a real woman from the audience to come up. He agitated this woman enough to get her on stage. Well, that was always the bit, was yeah. it really? But it, this time it was, it was a real really woman. just a woman. Yes. Wow. Okay. Uh, because he offered a thousand dollars if if uh, she could take him down. Again, that always seems like it was part of the yeah. thing. And, so this time it wasn't. I, although I don't have proof that it wasn't a very long, elaborate. You know, set up. Oh, I'm not trying to. Di- I'm not trying to be uh, that guy. Uh, it's a good, but it, what was true is that. So he would, you know, he would do the rap of like to yelling at the women. You should be home cooking and cleaning and doing the ironing and uh, you women. Blah, blah, blah. To where, is that Tony Clifton or is that Andy? It was Andy doing his his wrestling. Okay. You know, Oh wrestling. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. I Strutting, remember. You know. That's right. I'm a man and mm-hmm. I have a big brain. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that. And uh, agitating the women in the audience. And Awful. I, and I was on Awful stage, shit. you know, with him. <laughs> and I, I swear the women were so angry and crowding the stage. They were almost building like a, like a half shell of, on top of each other. Like a, a, I was like in a thunderdome of, of women, like wanting to rip them apart. A tidal wave is encroaching. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm, I'm refereeing. I don't know anything about refereeing, so I'm just pretending to do something, you know. And... <laughs> But he was really, like, physically whopping this woman around like a rag down. I'm like, somebody's going to die or something. So then... <laughs> guys, the- guys, be careful. There's a fake brick wall back there. <laughs> a real brick wall, by the way. Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, pardon me. Real brick- uh, so the weird part was after that, he'd go in the bar, and then the women would come out. Women would come out and want to have sex with him. Yeah. What the fuck, right? Reverse psychology. I don't know what... It, uh, they were. Wow. It was an interesting, weird phenomenon thing. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So but, you uh, refereed for one of those. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, considering that's, I mean, when you think of the acting work, I guess probably Taxi is up there. But when I think of the shenanigan work, that wrestling is the biggest, that's yeah. what you look at that's when you look at Andy Croft. for, right? Yeah. So, and then you, you throw in the, the legendary improv. This but, is the New York improv, right? Yes. Yeah, and the legendary New York improv. Maybe, and Maybe you've kind of felt these things, but kind of, to me, it was like I I was so obsessed with stand-up and comedy and the comedy world and the comedy clubs when I was a kid and looking, watching everything stand-up on TV. And so it was like a weird fantasy world, you know what I mean? So then to suddenly feel like you're able to walk into the TV and I'm, I'm actually with these people that were kind of inside this little box yes. and I get to be inside of there. Well, That's crazy. It's a weird... You know, we're even now, even still, you know, uh, you know, writing for I'm sitting down writing with people I've to me were these magical people that didn't really exist. You know what I mean? It's like being able to walk into a novel or something, you know? Well, that's exactly what it is. I mean, that is what it is. I feel that way even here, getting to have conversations with people like you, because I also wanted to go into this field. I did something. You'll find out about it later because it's going to blow your fucking mind. (laughs) That got me off of that path for 20 years. My dad died and a bunch of shit happened, life stuff. And then only in the last year or two have we 
started doing anything in our lives that is moving towards what was my original goal. So it's kind of a weird, for me, it's kind of a weird, I'm looking at you going like, oh, that's what it could be if you just fucking didn't fuck your shit up. (laughs) (laughs) Keep keep your eye on the ball. (laughs) Well, it's interesting though too because it, it, it is a fact of life that happens with a lot of people, and it's it's in my memoir that will. Ah. Does it have a name yet? Uh, at the moment, it's the head, the bigger title is "It's a Funny Thing." Dot dot dot, and then the subtitle is "It's a Funny Thing: How the Professional Comedy Business Made Me Fat and Bald." <laughs> but as a nod to forum, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, uh, there is an interesting thing where I obviously there's so many people say in our hometowns that are just more talented and there's there's funny people in my hometown that are funnier and more talented than me and kind of writing this memoir there is a point where you kind of like look at this kind of line of demarcation so I went to technical high school I learned electronics Mm. but I still wanted to do stand up, and it was just it was nagging at me. But I got a job at NASA working on the space shuttle, and it was <laughs> it's what could be like a perfect career, right? So I'm falling into this career yes. just out of into high school. a government funded, yes, absolutely. And I also, you know, still had my high school sweetheart, and there was nothing wrong with that relationship. So it's sort of like everybody kind of hits that point of like, okay, well, this is the way life is supposed to go, and this is the way what's supposed to happen because you know. Being a stand-up comic in New York or Hollywood, you might as well be a you too whimsical fella. Yeah, you yeah. might as well be a ballerina. Or, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't <laughs> or a connect. unicorn. It's not real. You yeah. can't do that. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was interesting as I wrote the memoir to learn like, wow, I, I, I even realized I was sabotaging those things subconsciously. I was sabotaging the job and my high school relationship because that thing was nagging at me, and I had to. My body was taking over. My brain was doing it for me. Like, yeah. no, you don't. But you weren't, you didn't have that sight then, right? Looking back, you could see it. Or yes. did you realize at the time that you were sabotaging? I didn't really know it. At yeah, the right. Time. No, okay. Yeah. Um, like, uh, like this division I worked with at, at NASA, like, for example, we had to build this specific NASA-designed compound in a dust-free room that took like a half an hour just to perfectly mix it and balance it. Mm-hmm. And it was viable for like 10 minutes, so you had to quickly... Oh, so I, I went in the lab and would build it and then go back. I worked with these... There was only two other guys there, these like Vietnam vets. And like after building it, I would take the Q-tip thing and then just try to stick it in the... You know. <laughs> Again, Letterman with the pencils. Yeah, yeah. A riot. So, you know, I was like, what am, what am I doing? You know, yeah. and, they, and those guys had no sense of humor and I was like, well, this isn't, you know. Where were you? Uh, were you at like Hughes or Perkin Elmer or one it was of those? In Danbury, that's fact. why I'm. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, right yeah. by the mall above the airport, there probably. I don't remember where it was. In fact, it was because uh, there are tons of those Union carbides over there. There's tons of those. In fact, the job interview was government to, contractors. Uh, it was more of an assembly line to fix. It was, they built uh, meters for airplanes. Oh, okay. And that's what I thought I was. It could there be for. Hughes. They, they built the Perkin Elmer, the, uh, the 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 Hubble telescope, like oh. that 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 didn't work. That came out of that same place in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> what was weird, too, is that uh, I felt like I was a shoo-in because I had my, you know, my high school, uh, you know, I was deemed not college material through testing somehow, so they put me in a... Is that why you were in the electronics school yeah, and the whole bit? school. Yeah, school. 
So I figured I can do this job like nothing, and I was ready, you know. And then they they gave me a test as part of the interview. I get a math test. Mm. Like, what? And they give me a calculator. Oh, what's he doing? Like, this guy's oh, a genius. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Untapped <the>? potential. <laughs> um, but surprisingly, and they got another lesson. I'm assuming you were off the charts on all that stuff. I don't know if I was off the charts, but they said they came back with my test, and mm. I'm ready to, like, I'm looking for an escape route. And I'm like, we want to start you in our Rocketdyne division at NASA. And I'm like... You know, but it was another lesson of like, and I, as I keep referring to a memoir that nobody's going to read, but it's, there's those moments too of like people who doubt themselves and then realize, you know, know, who knows what you're Mm -hmm. capable of, who knows what, you know. Uh, So there's, you know, it was a crazy, interesting lesson, you know. That's amazing. So at what age were you working at NASA when you started so young to go into New York to work in comedy and then... It was just out of high school, so it was... Oh, so before you went to New York? Yeah. This was, was the short time frame yeah, and then yeah. and then, okay, I thought maybe it was a came out because retirement, then, short retirement. Uh, remember in Hartford, the year was a snowstorm and the, the Civic Center collapsed. Do you remember that? The or, partial of the you, roof. Uh, you were probably four years old or something, but... No. Well, oh, maybe. I could have been. Yeah, I could have uh, been But the really whole roof young. collapsed, and they I had to shut it down. 80 or something. Yeah. It was when the Whalers were still playing there. Yeah. Uh, it was It was 1978, actually. There you go. Now that I think of it. So I was alive, but barely. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, so there... Oh, it was. It was the blizzard of 78. That's, of course, what it was. Oh, sure. was it? Yeah. See, now I didn't even know that specific, but <laughs> there, there is a little concert hall, I guess, attached to the or some kind of venue. And uh, this was right when I was at NASA and like figuring out that this is not where I should be. This is, something's happening. I need a sign. It was just, I need a sign, right? And uh, my sister came to me and found a thing in the paper, the Waterbury Republican, that any, <laughs> sure. uh, that the, that concert <laughs> venue uh, is having a, a amateur comedy contest. And the first prize is an audition at the improv. Yeah. I'm like, what the? You know. <laughs> so, Here in Waterbury? Yeah. And uh, so I did that and I won that. And it, I got to audition at the improv through this contest. So it's like, it felt like things were like out of my hands. Things were happening. And based on your other stories, you obviously ended up at the improv. So this went well. Yeah. So I, I got to, I auditioned that night as part of this contest and they said, yeah, you can come here anytime you want. And what did you do? Were you doing material that you'd seen other people do on the no, Tonight Show? Was, did you write no, your own? My partner and I ended up, we did those eight weeks and then he was ready to move on with his career because he was an electronics person and he was getting married. He was kind of taking the right road. Yeah. And I'm like going... You know, I just discovered like Norm Crosby's comedy shop. So I get to see like <laughs> Leno and Letterman and everybody when they're really young. And I'm yeah. like, holy cow, that's what I want to do. Uh, and then Freddie Prince was uh, co-hosting the Mike Douglas show. You uh-huh. know, they, they would have hosts co-host yes. for a week. And Freddie Prince started talking about the improv and had clips of like the club and comics. And then he brought out a friend of his who was a roommate uh, who was going to do his TV stand-up debut. And he was 18. And he came out and did great. And I'm like, he's a teenager. I'm a teenager. I like ran to my mom. I'm like, I didn't go to yeah. do that. And I'm Freddie Prince is going to help me. And you know, it's a, <laughs> and my mom was like, yeah, you know, and, and then you could be a ballerina too, right? Or whatever, you know. or a unicorn. Uh, Not real. So it just kept building on itself. It kept finding me in a weird way. So mm-hmm. then it really like I was more inspired of like 
So I got to go to the improv. That's yeah. where I got to go. And then that's when that contest thing showed up. I mean, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it's a weird. So it, it, you, you just followed the path, really. Yeah. Laid out and you just said yes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Gosh, I love that. Are you satisfied with it? Do you feel good about uh, the things you've done? Because I'm looking at you going, oh, man, I wish I did all of those things. And I don't really. I'm looking forward to all the things we're going to do. But did, I love did, hearing these stories because did, it did really. You, I mean, did you consider doing stand-up at some point or or more of a, as a host? or? Uh, when I was a kid, yeah, I thought I would probably do this or work on this type of show or some, 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 somehow. And then, and then something happened, and then I did something, and then she's going to send you a link to, to tell you that whole story. <laughs> Prison time? Was it? No, no, nothing like that. But maybe should have done it for it um, uh, and didn't. Got away scot-free uh, instead. But anyway, one of those things, I just – I ran away from it because for whatever reason, it was attached to a part of my life I didn't care about, you know, my dad dying and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Plus, I did something I wasn't proud of, um, and and – and it wasn't until becoming an adult. And by the way, I went and lived my life. I still worked in television. I just always was in production. I just wasn't focusing on the, oh, go try to do whatever this thing you think you have can be. Right. Uh, and that's all it was. It was just, I, I didn't, I sort of stamped out my own potential going like, ah, well, you blew it. All right. And then, you know, thinking, well, you've got your whole life to figure that out. And then I just didn't try for a long, long time. And until one day it was like, you know, life life you realize you're not fucking uh, invincible her health started going and you know what i mean life just changed reshuffle right. and then it was like what the fuck are you what do you really want to do this why don't you just try it like to start a podcast i mean how hard is it like? these days right yeah and then it was a year and a half ago you know two a husband and wife at the dining room table with two microphones and then this is a year and a half later this is what we're doing <laughs> i think too though ultimately no matter what happens there's so much satisfaction of like I really tried it, and I really put myself out there, mm. and whatever happens, happens. There's Success I, I, and failure. I felt that in so many ways, and unfortunately, this town really is about making you question your ability and yourself and right. that sort of stuff. Shattering I mean, your reality. Yeah. I, I always go back to the story of uh, Mike Nichols, who got to spend most of his career in New York City, but whenever he would come to L.A., the second he got off the plane, he's like, how am I doing? <laughs> that's funny yeah it, it just great. and I, maybe that be I think that might be why I wrote the memoir just so I can look at like what I've done because you get lost in the fog of war so much it's like I did some pretty cool stuff and I got to really work with or hang out or meet uh, all these people that I was mystified by yeah. as a kid you know and get to know them and work with them and write with them and you know and it's funny even uh, you know you were probably saying, even as a dopey kid of like thinking, I want to get into this world. Like, I'm going to win an Emmy someday. Hmm. And then finally, like winning an Emmy was like, I didn't even consider like what it meant in the industry. It was like, it was more of like I hit a childhood goal. And that's those are the only the only timestamps that matter to me. Yeah. For whatever reason, I'm just heartstrings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's why we do all this. Yes. That's just one of the reasons. Um, of all the people you've met and worked with, uh, and you said you're grateful and all, all of this, is there anybody that you always wanted to and didn't get the chance because maybe they've passed away or um, <laughs> said no? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming that they've passed well, away I've, or I, just didn't get a chance to. Well, never. there was like these handful of people that I wanted to meet, at least meet, and I think I've almost done it. Yeah, I'm pretty close on that one too. Uh, Albert Brooks was... 
He's the other person on the list. Tell me anything about Albert Brooks because I'm a huge fan. And I hope you'll come back and we'll talk more about Albert Brooks. uh, During – first of all, I mean, he was the first guy that, like, did kind of what was considered the non-joke. You know what I mean? It was like sort of comedy about comedy. I mean, Steve Martin did it. You know, it's it's funny because it's a dumb joke, you Mm -hmm. know. And it was it was a lot of commentary on comedy, so I mean, I, as a kid, I just was obsessed with that. You know, it it, uh, it just it just talked to me for some reason. Were you watching him on the Tonight Show like I was? Is yes. that what you're basing it on? The uh, Speak the and Spell, show, and, and then oh yeah, and then his because uh, then I was like trying to figure out how can I do those kind of things. And, right, and, it, it expands the box a little bit. Yeah, well, Steve Martin did that for me as well. Um, but during the writers' strike. It was already 10 years ago or something, but uh, I was picketing at the, I would go to the Radford lot, mm-hmm. picking with riders right the corner. in circles, and Albert Brooks was there like every day. That's and cool. Like I, actually walking or just yes, bringing walking, donuts? No, he was wow, walking. Wow, great. With the, he'd have a buddy with him or something, and I, I, I just didn't have the courage to kind of talk to him. I know he's a little bit of mercurial and... You know, but I I would just kind of walk behind him to listen to what he's saying to his friends, just trying to pick up on conversations. And uh, is and, he still back there? Yes, yeah. he's still there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he, uh, there was some stalking going on. <laughs> healthy, and uh, but it dragged on long enough where then the, the agencies started to send like food trucks and water trucks, and mm-hmm. it would be like pizza. You know, for everybody in barbecue. And That's kind of why I was asking if he was bringing donuts or not. Yeah. I remember that. And uh, so then other agencies, even like smaller agencies, felt they need to get on the bandwagon and give the, the writer some sustenance, I guess. And there was a guy from a boutique agency. And, and the writers are walking in circles. And this, I think it was probably the head of the agency, had like a plastic Ralph's bag. And he had these little sun-made raisin boxes. <laughs> and they had like a Kinko's label of like whatever the you know, Joe Schmo agency, and he's handing them out to the writers, these little, you know, and then, so Elbert Brooks again is in front of me, hands it to Elbert, and just because I happened to be behind him, he turned around and went into this rant. And it was you like, were the audience. You happened I, to be there. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, so what do I do? What do I do? I call CAA. Hey, CAA, it's Albert. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Look, I got raisins. You never gave me raisins, so I have to leave you. It's, you know, he just, just the idea of like the way he, hello, CAA. Yeah. It's like he's telling the whole thing. But I like, he went into this rant just, just because I happened to be there and did it for me. And it was like a great moment. Absolutely. You were yeah. the recipient of that energy. That's yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah, it was great. It and was, a private show. Yeah. I can't wait for you to put out that memoir. Like, it's <laughs> moments like that that are so cool that no one knows about that are so neat. Are yeah. you going to put it out? Or are you going to publish it? Like, when you said. Um,. I mean, are you going to try to sell it? I, I talked to my agent, and I didn't even know they had a book department, but I, they hooked me up to the agent there. Hello, CAA. <laughs> Hello, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Um, and I kind of talked to them about it, and they seems like it, to them it seems like a viable thing because I, obviously I'm not famous, but because I worked with famous people and worked on big that's shows. Where that's and, what I'm getting at. These stories are great. Um, they th- they haven't read anything yet. I mean, literally just finished it, you know, a week ago. Oh. Um, oh, wow. This is great. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, That's thanks. huge. Well, thanks. It's but a big I, deal. First, I gave it to my sister to read because I talk about my family. I'm going to make sure I'm not going to – nothing's going to, you know, destroy any family relationships. But, you know, there's <laughs> – Yeah, smart. 
Um, you can write stuff that you don't, that it seems innocent, but someone can go, how did you do that? And I have a couple of friends who have written books. Uh, my friend Steve Stolyer was Groucho's, uh, 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 I guess he was sort of his assistant and uh, curator and all this sort of stuff. But he worked in Groucho's house for the last four years of his life. Wow. And he wrote a memoir about that. And he's been writing other comedian's memoir so i gave it to him to read and one other friend who helps comics with their books awesome and the response so far is like they both said the same exact thing whereas i was going to flip through it and then i i started reading it and i went i, that's, sat, I read the whole thing that's your hook though that's what that's our thing too nobody knows who we are so if you can get them to just glance at it they might stick around right there i think you you're certainly interesting enough for that let me check my phone. No, I'm just kidding. I'm doing a, uh, <laughs> I'm doing a an Instagram story picture. Uh, are you on the social media? It's time to do our billboard. I'm on. I'm on the Facebook. Oh, okay. I'm on the Facebook. I'm, I don't. I, I don't. I haven't done Twitter, but I should. Never. Uh, a little bit, but I don't get the. Is this? Is this for? Uh, I'm just taking a picture. Is it for the collectible plate that you're gonna? Yeah. No, that'll be for the uh, for the instant. That'll send up on the Instagram. All right. My eye is irritating for some reason. <laughs> Let me get a close-up. <laughs> uh, so Facebook for that, and then um, you've got some stuff that you're you're working on now that's not out yet, but can we talk about the Netflix stuff? Well, the stuff, the, it, uh, the stuff is out. Oh, it uh, is? Oh, okay. There's been a long-running show that started in Canada called The Trailer Park Boys, and it was sure. a live-action fake documentary show. But then... Uh, is that you? Is that yours? No. Oh, no, okay. the guys in the show created it. And they've oh. been doing it in Canada for 10 or 12 or 13 years. And then they tracked me down because they wanted to take the live show and make it into an animated show. Okay. And we, from what I understand, we'll be starting a third season of the animated version of that. And Fantastic. And it's been on Netflix. This well, I'm aware of the, of the animated Trailer Park Boys on Netflix. <laughs> so that is not only connected with the old live action one, but it's also now... You, you're writing on it? Or yes, you're... yeah, yeah. Fantastic. I'm writing and running the animated side for them. Nice. And, and fantastic. Yeah, it's been it's been fun with those guys. Those guys are fantastic. And it's just a small, nice room, and is it's great. We don't have to deal with any notes from anybody, or there's no... Where are you? Are you yeah, on the Netflix to, lot? Uh, is it... Is like, a, where are you? Where do you have to go? Where are you working? Uh, Nova Scotia. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> I'm as far away from... Uh, Hollywood as it gets. <laughs> but are you serious? Yeah, I go there for for the writing. I get to do a lot of the posts from home. I, it's also my, one of the most beautiful places, certainly on this half of the world. Yeah, it's it's really nice. And Whoa. but it, I'll go for a few months at a are time. You hiring? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you write there and then do post here. Yeah, that's pretty rad. And yeah. animation's done overseas or whatever. It's a lot of it's done in Canada. Oh, really? There's some animation houses out there that we kind of is Deke still all around. They were Canadian oh, when I was a kid. Remember that? Yeah. When you were a kid, like, look, it says dick after the cartoon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then uh, we got to most of the things. There is other, there, there's other stuff, though. There's a lot of other things. Would you come back sometime, I, I hope? Uh, would okay. that be? I, yes. I, I'm glad you I mean, it. did you enjoy this enough that you would consider coming back sometime? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, thanks for sending the car. I flew in. From direct from Nova Scotia. Flew me in from Nova Scotia, and I appreciate the hotel. No, it's just that time wise, we're already long, and there. But I want to get, I want to get into these other things. I don't want to just glance by them. If that's no, it'd be great if somehow this, you know, with the memoir. If worst case scenario, I'll self publish it because I want to get it to my family and stuff, and then maybe you know, 
PDF it to us. Right. <laughs> but I can come and actually plug a book. That would be yeah. That would be awesome. All right, Love that. Cool. Uh, in the meantime, did you enjoy this experience? It was very was it nice. Painless? Very nice. Do I get a little prize? Do I get like the turtle wax like the old days? <laughs> oh my gosh. Remember that? Yeah, turtle we wax. do. We need to do that. In fact, we can start doing that because we do have some product sponsors of like t-shirts and okay. shoes and stuff like that. So it's a good idea. Yes. We're also working on our own merch and all that stuff. Uh-huh. More announcements on that as we go. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, you're good for this? Um, I feel great. like we hit all the things. That's great. Um, well, yes. can't wait to tell you more about me, but we'll do that off the air. Uh, that's all right. I'm ready. <laughs> I'll, Mrs. We'll, Ryan? I'll come back and I'll do you, and you can sit here. And I love that. Thing. Do you know who Steve Mazon is? Have I've you ever heard that name. He did the documentary uh, Dying to Do Letterman. He was a stand-up. Oh, yes, who, yes. Do you remember that from yes. five, ten years ago? He was a guest on the show, and he came back about two weeks after he was a guest on the show so that he could ask me questions after wow. watching this as well. So by all means. Let me know. I'll send um, it to you. <laughs> and then what do we have tomorrow, Mrs. Ryan? Tomorrow tomorrow is Vanita and Seath? Preeth. Preeth. Sorry, my own, my own handwriting. Uh, and they are, what would we call them? Porsche content creators? They have a really great how they came together story okay. um, that involves Porsche similar to ours. And they work a lot with Lorena. Uh, so. Women in Porsche over at Esposito. Yeah, it's okay. all part of our community. I'm stoked to talk to them. Very cool. And they're a, a nice Porsche couple. So there's mm-hmm. that. That's what's going on tomorrow. All right, Mrs. Ryan, I love you so very much. I love you too. Mike Rowe, we love you so very much. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here, man. If only you meant it. Oh, I do. I do. I'm one of those guys. Uh, we love everybody at home. Please love one another. And we will see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 